Welcome back, Red Spotters, to the show they call To the Table. I am Alexis Soto, in for Kyle Lara, because obviously he wasn't invited to the show, uh, considering it's not his episode for a change. I am joined alongside Peter Martinez, and as is customary on this program, I gave him a film to watch, he gave me a film to watch, and we are here at a table of some sort, and we are going to discuss what our feelings are about uh, those films. Each other's films, yes. Yeah, yeah. First of all, how are you, Peter? Oh, I'm alive. That's so great to hear. I'm sure a lot alive, of... you're doing good. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of people are glad to hear that. Uh, <laughs> so, I guess um, we'll get into it. The film that Peter Martinez presented me was the Guillermo del Toro classic. Masterpiece. Classic master slash masterpiece. It did win three Academy Awards. Uh, Pan's Labyrinth. Uh, the uh, Spanish language film. Yes. Uh, which honestly was... And then we will uh, get to uh, Steven Spielberg, one of uh, his recent films, which was, I would say, met with... Uh, Mixed reaction from really. Uh, I would say from younger people. It was okay. it was received with mixed reactions. I would say I saw a lot of reviews from older people who loved the hell out of this movie. It did get critical acclaim when it came out. Yeah, so, no, I, I saw it, it. It did get. I was reading some of the reviews. Yeah, and it did win an Academy Award, uh, which away from somebody. We'll get into that one. Obviously, did I even discuss the film? It was Bridge of Spies. Bridge of Spies. It came out in 2015, uh, and it stars uh, Tom Hanks and uh, Mark Rylands, uh, which uh, we've recently seen in quite a number of films. So, uh, obviously, um, we will begin with uh, Pan's Labyrinth. So right. first, uh, I want I want you to tell me why you gave me this film. Okay, um, I'm a pretty big fan of uh, Guillermo del Toro. Oh really? I yes. wouldn't. I couldn't tell. Yeah. <laughs> Hellboy, Pacific uh, Rim. I, I love Hellboy. Pacific. I Grim. hear he so, had a hand in the Book of Life. I think he produced it. So that would explain a lot. Uh, yeah, for, for it's long always time. hard to tell with producing gigs how much of an influence directors have. Uh, but a lot of his earlier works, um, I happen to have this little collection here, Kronos, The Devil's Backbone, Pan's Labyrinth. Um, he, I, I find him to be a really awesome director. There's, there's a few um, sort of misses in, in there somewhere. But he overall, hasn't directed that many films. Yeah, he hasn't so actually directed that many films. He seems to be batting a pretty decent pretty, average. Yeah. I, I, I really enjoy most of his work. And he's actually coming out with a new movie uh, sometime this year, the next upcoming year, um, the, the Shape of Water. Oh, yeah, I heard about that. It's coming so, out this year. Let's see how that goes. I'm looking forward to it. Um, Pan's Labyrinth, the reason I recommended this to you, Alexis, is because it is one of my favorite films of all time. Wow. I think it is beautiful. I think it is... I, I, it's just so is it's such a difficult film for me to to describe. Just it's indescribable. If I could, to me, it's it's. I I don't believe in perfect films, but if I had to point out like some films that I think are pretty near to perfection, I think Pan's Labyrinth is one of them. It, it's haunting. It it's it 
pulls at your heartstrings so much. It it's it's just the magic in the film and the beautiful story about this little girl and you know what she goes through during this horrific time in human history. Um, I just think it's a beautifully well told well told film. And you wanted me to see this because like, it's a really good movie. Yeah, it's a really good movie. But I'm curious because in a in this part of the show, it's like, what about me? Did you think I was going to uh, connect with this movie? I think you would connect with with um, the story specifically. Hmm. You know about this little girl, and while it's not clear exactly if her um, magical adventures are real or not, you know. That's almost not the point. It, it's it's sort of her escape through yeah. evil, <clears throat> and um, escape from evil through these magical adventures and the way they parallel the real world, what she's going through in in that other world. Um, I, sh- I, I, I think I I really felt like you would appreciate it. I'll put it that way. Um, I think you're right. <clears throat> I I, I uh, there's so much about this movie to appreciate from a technical and artistic standpoint um very quickly uh to i uh enjoyed and liked the movie very much Mm -hmm. uh i thought that the characters are just so full of life and vastly interesting um it really to be uh, full disclosure here because apparently I'm known on this crew <laughs> as the person who is I guess the most uh, cautious or has a particular taste in film that um, is by hard to own, break through by your own standard by uh, your own I remarks have, well, look, I have a taste in movies that apparently gets attacked very very uh, <laughs> consistently on this channel Putting that to the side, uh, it really kind of, this film told me just about everything I needed to know about Guillermo del Toro that I've been wondering all these years why people had been raving about. Because it was very clear from the beginning that there was a lot going on, but there was just so much attention to detail in all aspects of the story, whether it is the setting uh, the characters, the actors, even the fact that, um, uh, what was it? This was a Spanish language film for the most part, mm-hmm. uh, or for everything pretty much for the most part. Yeah, it it was entirely Spanish language and there were subtitles. I did, and I did do some research on this film because I also wanted to see the personal touches that he himself put into the movie. And from what I read is he wasn't, he, he hated the subtitles that were added to, uh, the Devil's Backbone, that he himself wrote the subtitles for Pan's Labyrinth. Mm-hmm. So, but that just shows you the attention to detail. It shows you the attention to detail, but it also just shows you how much he cares and how how devoted he is to these stories. And I, I I'm very impressed with the merging of the fairy tale aspect, but also the reality aspect. I I loved every little bit of that. I thought it absolutely worked. To me. It kind of gave me echoes of Big Fish because I just recently saw Big yeah. Fish and there was a mixture of reality and make-believe put into that. Mm-hmm. So uh, having recently seen that film, it was I, I kind of got echoes of it. But it definitely took this in a completely different direction that I thought did justice for the main heroine of this film. 
who you just can't help but support and love almost immediately because you just know from the minute they get to that compound, this person is a bad guy. He is a bad yes. guy. Um, that being said, though, um, I saw just to full disclosure, because I, I was very curious to see the mindset behind this movie. I did see one of the uh, bonus features on this uh, Blu-ray where Guillermo del Toro is talking with someone else who is known for her works in fables and fairy tales. And they were discussing uh, the different uh, styles and, and what it took to make this movie. And he was saying a lot of very relevant issues when it come, when that can be applicable to every film ever made. He was talking about the way that he constructs his villains. And I, first of all, Guillermo del Toro is such a charming guy. And he is yes. so intellectual about film and art and passionate that I really want to know more about him. That honestly is what captivates me the most. And just watching this film makes me want to really interested in, in his entire filmography. Um, but he was saying that um, about the way that he presents his villains. And it's like, in order for the story to get the full effect, he doesn't believe in... Uh, in uh, what was the word he used distilling them like keeping them to the background being an afterthought you know these days we have a lot of critiques about marvel films and you know i get on their ass pretty quickly you know i'm i'm known as the person who's paid by marvel again coming uh fake news article but <laughs> i love marvel yeah I, I think it's been very apparent i do i love them a lot and you love them as well but it's not as if they're beyond the capacity to create an actual good villain. I know that they've been trying more and more these days, but that doesn't excuse the fact that for 10-plus films, they weren't putting that many resources into it. And I think Guillermo del Toro just told you right there is you can't short sell him short because that affects the overall story. You didn't have that compelling character, and that was a very compelling villain. I, at the end of the day, a villain is still a character. It is, yeah. And I, and I think a lot of people, sometimes when approaching projects like Marvel, that they, they see it very much through the lens of the hero, the villain is the villain. Mm -hmm. But you've you got to put that out of your head and say, no, it's a character. Yeah, it is a very much character. And someone who is just one of the most despicable, vile pieces of shit maybe ever put on film still has layers behind him mm -hmm. you know um when when it concerns his uh his father and his lineage yeah. and when one, one of the best I, I i can't remember what i what video i was watching but it was about making good villains and it's like you always have to give a, a not always but what helps connect um audiences to a good villain is to give them a trait that's relatable yeah so, like, if, even if a villain is a piece of shit, let's say um, he's really honest. People are like, I, I can connect with his honesty. Well, he listens to music. He shaves every morning. Yeah. He's very passionate about his, his work and his purpose. Uh, uh, that's a, a lot of people carry that kind of sense of, an, of embodiment. But, yeah, that, that, that's sort of like an everyday sort mm -hmm. of thing. But even deeper, his, his whole connection to his father. Yeah. And in his his um, his connection to his son, who at the end of the day, questionable, but it, it seemed to be like he did care about his son. Yeah. For the reasons that were right or not, you know, 
that's not up to me but on, on the surface he did yeah and like, like at the end we're probably gonna be jumping around right here you know he's much like his father did for him he said tell tell my son who his father was i i want him to know and he broke the watch the mm-hmm. same watch that his father broke when he died because he's he wanted his his father wanted his son to know the exact moment that he died yeah and then you know um what's her name i i i'm so bad marcetis yes she says no he won't even know his father's name and you and you see for the first time his face like yeah just and I was break. watching the uh, the commentary with with Del Toro, and he was saying what was so great about that is that the moment she tells him that, that's when he dies. Yes. That's when his whole world came crashing down. Mm-hmm. And then when he gets shot, it's like... Eh. He was already dead. He was already dead. It was more of a relief, really, at that point. And what a weird shot, too. Like, it shot him in the cheek. Like And that, yeah, they were talking about that, how it's like... What was so great about that, it wasn't this big splash of the brains coming out. It was, it, it was uh, yeah, very unique. I had never seen that before, anybody getting shot right here. I mean, I'm, we're pointing to my face. <laughs> yeah. I was the cheek, right? The, the cheek, the, yeah. The right like cheek. the upper right below the eye. Right. Um, and then it just falls. I, it, I thought it was quite graceful, if anything. It wasn't like, it wasn't dragged out. It wasn't like... Like yeah. gory for the sake of being gore. If you had made it gory, it would have been more about the gore than the yeah, character. Yeah, it would have taken pa- away from what was happening. It would have distracted from the 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 character moment that was happening. Um, but the central character, and we always talk about how difficult this is, child actors. Ophelia. Ophelia. Yeah. She was amazing. It's just this this beautiful young innocent girl. Right. She had echoes of uh, what's her name? I, I God, who who played a uh, uh, X twenty three. Oh, in Logan uh, this year, uh, Laura Laura Keen. I, I think it's Daphne Keen. Daphne Keen is that like, the yes, actress that yes. played? Yeah, amazing child actress. And but uh, the person who played Ophelia in this movie, which I'm sure is like ten years older, because it's an she's old like, movie. She's got to be like twenty. Yeah, uh, she was she was quite impressive and captivating mm-hmm. from the the very first shot of the movie. No, no, no. I, I thought she was um, absolutely wonderful and. Like I said, just her the, viewing the world, um, this very disgusting, vile world, and time in this world, especially through the eyes of this very innocent girl, yeah, is, is just so interesting. And the fact that you know, you never are truly told whether her adventures are real, yeah. Are are these adventures just her trying to escape the harsh reality she's in, and find you know solace in that, mm-hmm. or, or find a sense of meaning in that, or is is are is the magical place in Pan's Labyrinth all real? And I think that really encapsulates the beauty of the ending. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got the impression as well as what Guillermo del Toro also said in that documentary about the movie is. The how you infer the ending of this film tells uh, shows more about who you are as a person more than anything, because it whether or not you choose to believe that that was a fantasy and that was real, or whether or not you choose to believe it was real, that shows more about who you are mm-hmm. than about what that ending. Is. It really implies how how you see the world and how what kind of lens you have. And for me, I I believe in the fairy tale, uh, only because. Despite the uh, horrible Cersei Lannister type that I made out to be uh, in certain episodes, I am an optimist. Uh, and I choose to believe 
that those adventures were real in every in every way. Uh, I, I in, in Big Fish is where I'd have I had more of a trouble figuring out what the fuck is going on. Oh like, yeah, that 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 movie was kind of like played with me more about okay, how is this real or not? With this one in Pan's Labyrinth, I was from the get go like with the whole fairy tale aspect, mm-hmm. and I loved how he approached this. I know that he was very, he is a storyteller first and foremost that was influenced through the fairy tales of his heritage, his culture. He's Mexican. Um, but in general, like he, he, uh, loves those stories, how, how timeless they are and how much of a reflection they are. And oftentimes that there's more truth in make believe and how they reflect on than in reality. Uh, for me, I, I loved the story. And because of that, I choose to believe and had not really any second thoughts about whether or not it was real. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until after it's like when I saw them discussing it, I'm like, oh, so there was a possibility it wasn't real. Really? So yeah. it never even occurred to you? No, no. I, 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 like for me, uh-huh. how the film was presented, mm-hmm. I, I went with it immediately. It never, I never questioned it. Unlike Big Fish, mm-hmm. which is... Big Fish, though, you're sort of meant to question Maybe, yeah. Because that, that question is posed at, immediately at the beginning of the film by the <clears> son <throat> saying, nothing you're telling me is real. Yeah. Um, with, I, I guess I'm the pessimist then because I had already, always assumed that, right. you know, this was her escape. Right. And, you know, as, as she lay dying there, um, because what, what's his name was, was shot. Um, he shot her. Yeah, yeah. That, that the the bad the bad guy shot Mr. Bad guy. Yeah, Mr. Bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> we can't remember his name, but we can all remember Malekith, right? In the dark, uh- <laughs> we can remember Malekith. Let's refer to him as Malekith. <laughs> Both incredible, compelling villains. <laughs> no, but to me. I, I just always assumed as you know a lot of people when they have near-death experiences they say like I, I whether it's their brain their neur- neurons shooting off because it's you know dying mm-hmm. it, um, they, they see certain things and yeah. I had always assumed that was her and in a way it, it's still in a sense a happy ending or at least yeah. bittersweet because she dies with this fairy tale kind of the similar I know that I keep Drawing comparisons to Big Fish, but it's also kind of I think it's fair similar to uh, Edward Bloom. When he yes. dies, mm-hmm. he gets told a story that he's always wanted to hear about his death, and that in itself is a happy death. It's a happy ending, kind of what is happening here. So, if you want to choose about, if you're more on the pessimistic side, that 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 can also be applicable to what her final moments are like mm-hmm. in this uh, in this life. But it it also fits in perfectly. Um, either way, especially mm-hmm. if you're looking that it, that it, that it was real, this whole issue of having to to shed innocent blood, and even if it was a prick um, to to her little baby brother, she wasn't going to put him in danger. Yeah. you know, she was the innocent blood that was shed, mm-hmm. and I think that also has something to to say about war. Yeah, you know that old cliche, but the the fact that innocent, the way innocent blood is spilled. Um, she she was a girl. She she just wanted to find a place of happiness for her and her mother, and she got caught up in it and she died. And you know she was part of that innocent blood that was spilled because of that. Um, and I just the ending gets me every time. Um, 
there's a few more there's a couple other characters I want to touch on but really quickly because I adore this aspect of the film the soundtrack oh no the score is amazing is beautiful it is so beautiful it really captures the magic of the movie and it's like you know some of the best scores are when you don't notice it Mm -hmm. and there was a a long time where I wasn't noticing it because it was so good Mm -hmm. and then when the at the end of the movie when I began noticing the music I'm like this is very very good music but but I mean like um the, the lullaby that, oh, that she yeah. has with her saying like da, 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 Mercedes da, da, da. Right. like I have never seen a, a song just encapsulate the emotions that you feel in a film so perfectly mm-hmm. than that song like you go through every range of emotions listening to that to that song um that you do watching the film and it, I, just, I think it's so beautiful and it's so yeah. um it's a huge, huge, huge plus to the film because um, not not every film has a great score. No, and and on many occasion on this show, uh, you have complained. <laughs> Honestly, I wasn't gonna go there. <laughs> no, I will go there. Okay, and it's not okay. to attack you. Okay, I'm just pointing a- it out that you, more than Kyle and myself, mm-hmm. are much more critical and harsh. I'm not gonna say you're nitpicky because I know you're not when it comes to the, to the music. I think you have. I would say higher standards, a higher bar to cross when it comes to musical scores and films. I know, for example, notoriously, you didn't like the Force Awakens score. You don't like most of the blockbuster scores. And that's not to say that you're wrong. I'm just pointing it out that that's how you fall on versus I'm, I'm bringing this up to bring out the difference in opinion amongst the people on this crew. And that's not to yes. say whether you're right or wrong. It just means yes. that you have a particular palette or something that you want more out of. You're not as easily taken with uh, scores. To be fair, I don't... It's not It's not that I don't like The Force Awakens. It's just I wasn't impressed. Mm-hmm. I think it works. I think it's and, a and fine score. you're thinking about the score, guys, not the movie. Yeah. I think you very much enjoyed the, yeah. or loved the I, movie. Yeah, I think I've defended The Force Awakens a lot. Um, no, but um, also... There's other characters in this film that I think... Mercedes. Mercedes. The Doctor. One, the Doctor the, yeah. especially. So wonderful. Um, so so many moments. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when he... Um, this, he wasn't a spy, but I guess he was one of the rebels. Right. When he chose to um, not let... Um, what's his name? Malekith kill him. <laughs> Yeah, we're just gonna call him Malekith. <laughs> he chose not to let Malekith torture him any further, and he killed him. And he 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 allowed him that peaceful death. Basically, put him down. Mm-hmm. And he knew he did so. It's at the cost of his own life as yeah. well. And you know, just that shot of him walking away as he guns him down. Yeah, it's just so so many well done scenes. It's so well acted, so well written. When um, the first scene where you really get a hint of like, okay, this guy's a, a complete piece of shit, is when um, the uh, he's he um, Malekith finds these two guys hunting, father and son. They're just farmers. Just farmers, just trying to get. And he rabbits. just guns them down because they annoyed him or something. I he's don't in, know. He beats their face yeah. in with a bottle. Oh, oh yeah, and beats it in, and then it turns out, yeah, they were just hunting. And um, 
also just just stick with him on that. Yeah. He reminds me most of Rafe Fiennes' character in Schindler's List. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. And um I, that's what I was going to touch on really. The the time period. I think it's supposed mm-hmm. to be set in He's Spain. He's yeah. yeah, when the when the fascists right. were 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 going through at that time. So, obviously that that's it's there obviously there's going to be very clear connections with that. Yeah. Um but the mother, the mother doesn't get a lot, but you understand her character. Yeah, you know she, she's she's a she did she obviously didn't have many options. Mm-hmm. She wanted to provide for her daughter, and she's just sort of caught up in this this bullshit. She's doing what she can, especially woman at that time. If you weren't married, money wasn't there. It just wasn't there. Um, I, I also found it was really interesting the way that they um. They took time to really dive into the the rebels um, storyline. That's what I what was most surprised surprising to me is that I was convinced in the beginning it was going to be Ophelia's story and the whole fairy tale aspect. I was at the same time surprised, but then also quite sad, like pleased to see that there was a lot of time dedicated to building up the rebels and also the other characters as well. And to me. Uh, that I think that's sort of a signifier because so much time was spent with them that this really was a story about war to yeah. an extent and, and the po- po- politics that go along with it. Um, the cutthroat politics, like the, the inhumans. Like inhumans is gonna have. <laughs> Isn't it gonna, wouldn't it be great if that, that shit was actually really good? Wouldn't it? Honestly, I'd come, I'd, I'd like, I don't know. <sighs> I'd be like, sorry guys, I guess I was wrong for bitching for six months. <laughs> hey, we could still be wrong. Yeah, hopefully. Um, um, I this gets to like the the most notable part of any Guillermo del Toro oh, film. Oh, the fawn. Yes, that's what I was gonna get to. The, the fawn. Um, yeah. it's he's played by a known um character actor. I not this character in the sense of he's always in these costumes and makeup. Motion capture person? No, not motion he's, he's capture. Usually but in a, suits. Okay. Um, he's in he's in most Gamble del Toro films. He's always usually behind a lot of makeup. In Hellboy, he plays Abe, which is this fish person mm. and stuff. And like he's always sort of the same way that um, what's his name is for motion capture. Andy Circus. Andy Circus is he's the same for actual costume creatures and characters, and just the fawn. Is, is wonderful. It's classic fairy tale. Yeah. It's it's he's so intriguing and the designs are beautiful, but right. it's like he's also terrifying too. Yeah, in a certain light, he's kind of disturbing. <laughs> like like you were never sh- you never exactly felt safe. Yeah. When, when um, Ophelia was with he him, he presents himself as a friend from the very beginning, but his appearance gives you quite the impression. And as a lot of these classic fairy tales were, you know. So sort of like it could go uh, either way. It honestly. could go either, either way, you know. <laughs> like the when the kids find the gingerbread house, right. and, you know, it turns out to be a witch. Um, what's kind of become a classic design at this point. I forgot the name, but the, the creature that has hands in his eyes. Oh yeah, that thing was horrifying. Horrifying, <laughs> like... just completely horrifying. Um, I, I forgot what they called it, but this was a violent film. 
even in the um, that's right you know even one of in the, the fantastical uh, elements i was quite surprised with how uh, much blood there was and it didn't hold anything back really no like so. he he just straight up ate one of the fairies and he would have eaten her yeah if she had not escaped and that was he didn't just well eat them he, he bit their heads off yeah um, the world itself was so intriguing to me mm-hmm. that that fan- other fantastical world. I, right. I could have seen much more of it, but I mean, they're just casual photos of him eating babies. You know, well, you know, to be fair, it's, you see how many picture old timey pictures of like people eating babies. Yeah. That 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 was a big mythical thing for civilization back then. I guess you think it was for that thing. <laughs> I think that thing actually ate them. The he did actually too. eat the babies, but. I, uh, any any negatives? No, no, <laughs> just no. Someone had their hair out of line at one point. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think there was anything. I can't think of a single bad thing to say about the movie. Because, because honestly, for, for me too, and, and again, like like I always say, there's no such thing as a perfect film. Mm-hmm. But you should always judge a film for what it's trying to be and what it's trying to do. I think for, yeah, and on every level, I think uh, it was uh, it was excellent. There's nothing I could really say that they could do or take away yeah. or change to make it any better. I just love the fact that I, uh, that this is one of the, the rare films that you just get lost in. The world amazing film. is just so, it's just, it's huge. <laughs> I, I think it won Best Foreign Film that year. No, it didn't. Uh, oh, it at the Academy Awards, yeah. it was nominated for six Academy Awards and it won three. It didn't win Best Score. It didn't win oh, Best Foreign Language God. Film, but it did win Best Art Direction, Hairstyle, or or does or Costume Design? I don't know. But it, do you it, know what did win that year? I do not know. It was two thousand seven, right? Oh my God! Because it came out in two thousand six, which means it would have been nominated. Mm-hmm. In the 2007, I can look it up if you want. Let's look that shit up. Uh, I want to know what was what won, because one of those films I remember, and one of those I don't. <laughs> obviously, um, one of the cool Easter eggs I remember seeing, um, noticing one time. Then I looked it up, and it was true. It's it's um, the dress they give her when the one she wears when she goes to um, get. I think it was a key or something out of the toad's mouth. Yeah, she um, she's wearing an outfit very similar to Alice in Wonderland, and it was meant mm. to sort of, it was meant to yeah. reference those uh, those stories. But um, to for me, I think Pan's Labyrinth is probably Guillermo del Toro's best film. I I really don't see him ever being able to top it, and even some of his recent films have been eh. Like, Crimson Peak was just, like, whatever. And I, I, I'm i really hoping for something special with um, the, uh, the, what's it called? Pan's Labyrinth won three Academy Awards. It won Best Makeup, Best Art Direction, and Best Cinematography. Okay. Um, just uh, to see what else. I'm trying to see. What was the category? Best Foreign Language Film? Yeah. Uh... Give me a sec. Uh, interestingly enough, Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest, won visual effects that year. So. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Uh, best foreign language film went to The Lives of Others from Germany. The Lives of Others? Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and Pan's Labyrinth was, of course, nominated. It didn't actually win. Also, Best Animated Feature went to Happy Feet. So, You don't like Happy Feet? I never saw that movie. Oh, I like Happy Feet. Happy Feet's a good movie. Mm-hmm. Prefer Cars, but we're not going to get into that. <laughs> um, anything else to say about this? For me, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I love the world. I love the performances, the writing, the visuals, the, the music. It is an outstanding movie. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, and, and everything that about this movie makes me very much curious about Guillermo del Toro. And, uh, I wish there were more directors like this in the business, honestly. Don't worry. I'll introduce you to a few. Yeah. <laughs> Curse this show. Um, all right. We, we, we talked about Pan's Labyrinth. So mm-hmm. Why don't you tell me, Alexis, why you wanted me to see, or rather, why you didn't want me to see, why you didn't want me to see Bridge of Spies? Well, yeah, I think it's pretty obvious. Look, uh, I didn't want you to see this movie. I honestly, there was nothing else that I had that you hadn't already seen yourself. So, to abide by the uh, the rules of this show, I essentially had my hands tied. And there was nothing else I could show you. And so I gave you Bridge of Spies because that was the only movie uh, that I really, really love that you haven't actually had the pleasure of seeing. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't for an effort of trying. I believe you were invited to attend that screening that with, with you, with, with uh, Kyle and I back in 2015. I think you had work or something. We had actually been in this very room. And we were doing a Star Wars project video. And it was back in October, 2015. Uh-huh. And we had all were, were planning on seeing Bridge of Spies. The only problem was it was kind of late. We didn't see it until like maybe 9 or 10 or something. Oh, that might have been it. On a Friday night. I try not to see movies past like 10. Mm-hmm. Because I'm a really old person when it comes to sleep. Yeah. And I, it, it ruins the enjoyment for the film. Um, especially in the theater. Yeah, especially uh, in the theater. So, uh, but for me, uh, I ended up. The interesting thing about the movie is that uh, I wasn't. I was expecting an entirely different thing, both Kyle and I, and we both walked away uh, a tad bit underwhelmed with it. Mm. And then I immediately uh, saw it. To, I went to go see it again, um, and, and ended up loving it so much more the first time because the thing about Bridges Spies is. Uh, it is kind of like a house of cards where there's oh, a lot of yeah. I'm not saying the edge I'm, I'm just saying that there's a game going mm-hmm. on on different sides of it yeah and uh, there were if you're not paying attention there's some things that you might miss so well just just uh, just to ask what kind of movie were you and Kyle expecting something uh, on a much more grand scale Mm-hmm. Like, imagine the scope of Dunkirk, but more uh, politically, like, a political thriller, maybe some, some, like, spy action here and there. Mm-hmm. I don't know. We had a different thing in, in mind. Okay. Like, because, um, to be honest, I, I, I think I'm kind of in line with you. I did expect something different to yeah. that extent with Bridge of Spies. Mm-hmm. Um, Did you finish this thing in one shot, or was it hard to get through? Uh, I I, th- I watched, I think, a third of it. Right. 
but I stopped because I, I was it was really late and I was like getting sleepy. So then in the morning, <coughs> I woke up and I think I finished the rest of it. Um, yeah, like, like I was saying, I had expected something else and I liked it better than whatever I would have expected. I, I actually think, why are you giving me dirty looks? <laughs> I, this what, is a trick, right? No, it's not a trick. Am I getting punked? I just, is Kyle in a closet somewhere waiting to come out? Like, <laughs> You said you liked it better than you thought you would have, or you're saying you liked it better than what you thought you were going to get? Um, Both. Okay. Because what I've I, I seen the film and I think the trailer beforehand, I had assumed something similar to what you had. Yeah. This yeah. grand scale political thing, and it's... Honestly, I was just like, eh. I've seen that already. I, I, it just didn't intrigue me. And the trailer. I, I thought it was like, I, I didn't think it would be bad, but it would be like, it would be standard. It would be, you know, to, um, what's it called? Cold War thriller. Right. And then at the end, it's, right. it's that. Um, but I thought the direction they took with it was far more interesting, at least for me. Okay. Was... It, it very much focused just on the actions of this lawyer mm-hmm. who was just trying to do the the patriotic duty that he felt was right. Right. In defending this man, you know, by saying everyone deserves representation. And, you know, that kind of sentiment goes all the way back to our founding fathers. Yeah. You know. Um, How about that? A good lawyer. <laughs> In these in these days, I mean, that's not an that, that, that's not to say that everyone who's a lawyer is a bad person, but we do live in, an, in a time and age. Just because your sister wants to be a lawyer, <laughs> just to be clear, we do live in an era in yes. which lawyers are very—it's a profession that is frowned upon, uh, very much so. I'm not coming to, to the. the the defense of lawyers. I'm just saying that because of the generation that we live in, it's very rare to to have a character like that that you like so much and that you admire and that's also a lawyer and the the fact that the that the film took such a not such this giant scope but a very narrow it was scope, very personal very yeah just seeing the world through his eyes mm-hmm. and the way that he saw it in his family right um and and I, and I really like that because I feel like we've gotten a lot of um large scale large scope you mean Dunkirk Cold War type era films <laughs> that's Cold War <laughs> I don't hate Dunkirk all right I nobody think no one is, hates Dunkirk I think Dunkirk is a good film it is it is not necessarily my cup of tea. but you wouldn't say that that was a, a personal move by any means it was no but it wasn't trying to be right so like I said, you judge films on what they tr- what what their goal is. What right, right. Each film is different, um, but I really appreciated the fact that they took that very um, personalized um, take on on the film. Which was the fact. Okay, so you have Tom Hanks who plays uh, Ray Donovan. Is that or that's that's a, that's an actor? That's Sorry, enough. there's James James something James. Uh, this is a real story. Yeah, I know. Uh, just for the for the audience back at home, mm-hmm. I didn't know about this. Tom Hanks is playing the lawyer, mm-hmm. and he is defending a Russian spy, Abel or Abel, if you want to mm-hmm. call him. Uh, and who? James Donovan. Yeah, I was I was close. Something close. James Donovan, uh, but the 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 Russian spy Abel is portrayed by Mark Rylance. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, but just to, to clear the setup, and once Abel is captured, uh, the only lawyer that they that really can actually bring a defense is is uh, James Tom Hanks's character. Mm-hmm. And the thing about that is, everyone is just expecting him to just throw the case away and get him locked up and executed. Mm-hmm. And then what no one expects is that no, he actually does care about the law mm-hmm. and as much as he may not agree with his his profession as, as in, in espionage he still feels duty bound to represent him to the best of his ability mm-hmm. in the eyes before the law and and what you what was surprising is that there in the midst of all this there's a a bond that I don't know that this <laughs> sorry my chair kind of moved oh it was you yeah. <laughs> I was like what there was a bond that that formed between those two mm-hmm. so um and I think that that's really shown in one of the interactions between them when it's like he's deep into protecting him he's like don't worry we're gonna try and do this we're gonna try and do that and he's like you know you never even asked if I really did it and he's like doesn't really matter you know like the, that's that's not up to me to know or really care. My job mm-hmm. under the law is to be your defense, you know, to do the best I can of, to the best of my d- abilities to defend you. And that's what I'm going to do, you know, because and um, and of course, old Steven Spielberg, he's really good at this um, old fashioned patriotic film. Mm-hmm. But it, what, what I liked about it is it's a different kind of patriotism. It, yeah. it, it, it's not just this whole. It's not the hogwash mainstream, uh, America, you know, right? Because wave lot, the flag yeah. and fight the bad guys. A lot of those patriots, which you do see in this movie, are the ones who actively want this case to not be an actual yes. case. They want to throw him away. They want to lock him up. They want to execute him. And you also see that in the military component that comes into play later in the movie. Yeah, that kind of patriotism is. What what I love about it, that's not the kind of patriotism that's being promoted here. That's being denounced ever so slightly by James Donovan. It's like, well, I don't know what kind of patriotism you're you're buying into it, but that's not how I see the foundation of this country. His, his patriotism was mostly, well, not mostly, it was all to the ideals of mm-hmm. what make America, America. And I think that that's, you know, not to get all like kind of bullshitty on you here but to me that that's true patriotism yeah you know that's why i, I feel for me i i identify you can yeah you can, I can, you can see, see why i identified so much with james donovan as a person what he stood for and all of quite frankly the bullshit that that was heading his way um it was horrible and especially in that time i think it captured perfectly the the emotions that ran high in the time of the cold war mm-hmm. where people came at his house and like vandalized the house, or like his daughter was watching TV, and then he wasn't a real American because he was defending right. this dirty communist right. spy. Yeah, but you know his whole thing is like, you know, if we devolve to just ex- executing yeah. and you know just shunning out people in this way, shutting them down, not giving them a fair, um, a fair shot, a fair trial. We become just as bad as them. We need to show them that our mm-hmm. ideals are true. Our ideals work. It's also and that was what his whole point was of really giving a, a great defense mm-hmm. to this spy. It's also for me on a personal level, really eye-opening and just sad how 
we always have to resort to, to such um, simplistic and quite frankly moronic behavior to the point where we have to question each other. Like, who's the real American? You're not a real American if you do this. Really, so I'm not a real American if I don't stand up for the principles that our country was founded upon. I'm not a real American if I have the decency to actually have compassion towards somebody who was just doing his job. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry if I don't want to kill people like you do. I mean, and I'm, I'm, I, yeah. I'm not that, saying this to get too political here, but that, yeah. that's what the movie is very political. So we have yeah. to discuss these things. And for me, that's what I found so uh, – that's what connected me to this person more than anything. But, but I think just the overall message of um, be true to the ideals, mm-hmm. not, you know, the, the country so much, you know. And how many times in this movie do you have to, like, like does Tom Hanks come across somebody who's just like, oh, my God, really? That, that are like, oh, you, you, you're being a traitor. How dare you? And it's like he's being the most American out of anyone. Even his, his colleagues. And because the, like, he's putting faith right. in, in the American system. He takes it all the way to the Supreme American Court. American virtues. Yeah. And also he he was smart enough to see the foresight that mm-hmm. there's, you know, as bad as they are for doing it, we're doing it to them too. You know, they're going to capture one of our guys. They're going to capture some of ours. His whole thing was always about trying to save lives. And I think that's also something that that's very admirable and you can look mm-hmm. at because um, when it came down to it, he was looking to get both Americans um, traded. Yeah. For, and that's for where we transition to the other part of this movie. That's because, like the second half. Yeah. And, and in a lot of ways, it almost feels like two movies coming together because mm-hmm. there's a, a separate thing that's happening when it comes to the military component of the U.S. where they have uh, special agents. And one of them gets uh, stranded in Russia or something like that. They get right? blown out of the sky. They get blown out of the sky and then he gets captured. And they were told not to get captured. If it comes to it, you kill yourself. Mm-hmm. Well, he wasn't captured. Well, he wasn't. He, he was, was captured. captured. And he wasn't so, able to kill himself. And because of that... Uh, the United States government uh, appoints James Donovan uh, as a, an envoy man, an ambassador of sorts. A negotiator. Uh, negotiator uh, to establish a prisoner exchange between their, our guy and, and their guy who is able, who we have in our, in our thing. And so, but then when we get, I forget, where, where does he actually go? Somewhere in Russia? Does he go to Moscow? Does he go to Berlin? Like he doesn't go to. He goes to Germany. It's Berlin because yeah, it's the Berlin. wall is being built up. They, they right? sh- they're showing the wall being built. Uh, the, the the Berlin. Yeah, because Berlin was occupied by Russia mm-hmm. at that point. Part of it, or the or the west yeah. or the east side of it. But I I think the ones that capture the uh, the college student or uh, I don't remember his name, but there's an, an a different thing that happens where there's a college. I think Price. Mm-hmm. There was a college yeah, student there. Price who was working on his dissertation and it's literally happening as the wall, the Berlin wall itself is being built that he gets caught in the crossfire. They're trying to get the hell out of that side so they can be free, but then they intercept him and he gets captured. And then along the negotiations, uh, James Donovan, Tom Hanks's character discovers that there's this other person. And again, like the, the people there are like, forget about him. The, and there's a point where they actually kind of fault him. Like, what business was a was, was a, he doing? You know, on that side of the it's wall, his fault. He got captured. There. Like, we, and he's not a prerogative anyway. Uh-huh. And again, it just 
what's at display here is this huge heart that he has. And, and from the minute he hears about him, you know he is going to try his damnedest to make sure we get both of them. And the, the, the curious thing there is that that's a third party that has to yeah, be dealt with. Yeah, that's what I was going to bring up because um, Germany, or at least um, Germany under Russian oc- occupation is the one that's holding um, Price – and a big thing for them is they want to be seen as an equal part mm-hmm. on um, on the same level as the U.S. and Russia. Right. You know, they, they don't like being seen as this sort of occupant place. Kind of a, for those of you back home to kind of draw a parallel, it's kind of like uh, not that they were terrorists, but it's kind of like uh, governments refusing to negotiate with terrorists because when you negotiate with terrorists, you legitimize their actions and their organization. Yeah. They they didn't want to legitimize. Um, them. Were they socialists or what? Were, what was like, they had a whole name and everything that they called themselves the Socialist Republic of Germany or whatever they were. Whatever. <laughs> whatever. It doesn't matter what they're called. That it wall just... came down. <laughs> America, <laughs> fuck yeah. There's so many walls these days so in conversation. So much speaking of walls. Um, <laughs> no, but you know. Um, that did happen. So he, he really was playing chess on both sides because he had mm-hmm. to negotiate with Russia, who was just being ridiculously like non upfront yeah. about things. Very like, evasive. In, uh, like vague. his fake family. Right. It's like we both know these the they're fake. Why are you playing games <laughs> like this? And then he basically promised both of them. Right. Like, yeah, we'll trade. And but then uh, Germany finds out like, whoa. <laughs> We didn't know you were talking to the Russians at the same time. Like, you can't do that. He's like, "What? It's the same thing. We're we're both getting. Everyone's getting what they want. You yeah. Know? Why isn't it this way? So the whole movie is just him. Or at least the second half. Mm-hmm. The first half is him and him defending in court. Right. Um. What's his name? Abel. Abel. And then the second half is him trying to get these two Americans back and trading them. Um. I, I, I do want to get to a negative real quick because okay. there's there's other good things. Right when I turned on the movie, um, I looked at the runtime and I was like, oh my god, this is two and a half hours. And I was like, Ugh. Schindler's List is three hours and 15 minutes. Is it really that long? I, because I, uh, for those, uh, yesterday, my, my parents are not the biggest film buffs, but oh, they okay. love movies. Yeah. And so one of the films that I wanted them to see was Schindler's List. They've never seen it. And they're like, really? It's an old movie. I would have thought you would have seen it. And they love Spielberg films. So my mom asked me, how long is Schindler's List? And I'm like, I don't know. I, I don't remember. I have to look it up. And it was like, it's three hours and 15 minutes. I had no clue. I thought it was like two and a half. No. See, that film flies by. Yeah, it does. Um, and they loved it. So, I mean, it's Schindler's it's, it's List. It's an incredible film. I mean, it's sad, obviously. But, yeah, it's, like, but it's a deeply affecting movie. But again, it's like sometimes you don't. It's not the longest Spielberg film, I'll say that. <laughs> I'll definitely say uh, Dunkirk felt a lot longer. Yeah, for different reasons. For different um, reasons. But one of, the, one of the key components of the film that I feel not only could have been taken out, I think should have been taken out, was the whole issue with the military. Like, in, okay. the, in the first half... Like, you see them, like, come together and say, you see all these military guys coming, and they're like, oh, yeah. That's the beginning they're, of the second act for me, anyway, or the... 
It, they, no, it's the first half because it's intercutting with. Um, oh, it's earlier. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Okay. And it, it, it's showing them talk about their mission and they're right. going to do this, and then it shows him go up in the plane. And it's this whole thing and everything. It's this whole thing, and I'm like, this isn't necessary at all. Mm, like okay. we we just and it really pulls me away from the film because I thought the so far the film had done expertly is just give you this bird's eye view of oh, this okay. of this world this time directly through Tom Hanks mm-hmm. and out of nowhere this comes this, into play this, and it, and also I'm like well maybe these characters will come into play later but they don't really except like, for one but they're not really even then like, but really you could have introduced his character right when like they show him getting tortured mm-hmm. and it would have been fine yeah like, like, because he doesn't do anything before. All you needed to know is that he was captured. That was it. You have this whole sort of action sequence in which the plane falls and he tries to destroy the plane. Mm-hmm. And I thought it just looked bad. Mm. And I'm like, this isn't necessary. No, 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 no. I think, and also story wise, it's like, we don't, we're like, we can see he's kind of trying to get him safe in case they might need an exchange. So right away, I already know, like, okay, this is just here because one of them's going to get captured. And obviously, that's going to lead to them needing to be exchanged. You don't need to spend so much time. You could the second half of the film. You could have just been like, "Oh, oh, someone come in and be like, one of our boys got caught over Russia." Because um, even the mission itself really mm-hmm. had nothing to do with it. Like they were taking yeah. pictures, and it's yeah. like, yeah, but it doesn't really play into the story. It's completely unnecessary. And it was kind of an extended sequence because you also see him get caught, and then it's all, there's also this this uh, part of the sequences where I guess he's being tried this fake trial yeah. powers the the guy got captured and yeah i agree with you looking back on it that was that that could have been taken out that wasn't needed i don't know how yeah. long that's probably like 10 15 minutes was it a whole 10 15 i think it was five maybe no. seven if you add all of that together uh, I'm, I'm thinking around 10. yeah okay i, I can see and that. i think you could have cut down on it and, okay. I, and I think i think the film i think that's fat that could have been cut i'll okay. put it that way um Oh, and and uh, this is this is technically a negative, but we need to talk about this. Mark Rylance. Is it technically <laughs> a negative or is something that's okay? We need to get into this. We have a little bit of background here. I uh, just to establish a bit of context for you. Yes, and me, context. Uh, to be uh, entirely straightforward, we did. I think it was a. Over a year ago at this point, it was 2016, the Academy Awards. We Mm -hmm. did a live reaction video on the Barely News Crew YouTube channel, which you can check out right now if you want. And um, Bridge of Spies was nominated that year for several categories. But then also, another great film, Creed, had been nominated for a lot of things. However, Mark Rylance and Sylvester Stallone were in the same category for Best Supporting Actor. Mm Mm-hmm. And a lot of people, including both Peter and myself, were predicting fully that Sylvester Stallone uh, was going to win and should have won. And out of nowhere, and we're live reacting to this, when mm-hmm. they announced that Mark Rylance won, we're, there's, I feel like there was silence here, but there's also a lot of silence in, in the actual room itself. Mm-hmm. Like... Oh, it's kind of like letting the air out of the bag or something. It's like, wait, what? What just happened? Um, but then at the same time, I'm seeing Stephen and and Mark, and they're incredibly happy, 
And I'm like, well, I'm happy that that movie got something because for me anyway, and I think that was the beginning of my kind of childish, but (laughs) it was the beginning of my distaste with things in Collider and a lot of other people. I, I really felt like that movie wasn't legitimately viewed as one of the best movies of the year. To be fair, you got issues with a lot of people. But I think that that's where I can trace it back where things mm-hmm. began. To, you know, the, the what was it? The road or abridged or whatever. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what I'm referencing. But anyway, uh, yeah, that happened. And Peter had a lot of things to say about that whole situation. Because <laughs> it was Sylvester Stallone's. That was his... Oh, like uh, Michael Keaton should have had the Academy Award. Exactly. <laughs> and then exactly. it went to... I'm sorry, I'm a Redmander. Eddie Redmayne, all the way. Especially for that performance. Much like that scenario with this one, I do think that Mark Raylance is a great actor. I thought he did a really good job. But I'm certain now more than ever <laughs> that it should have gone to Sylvester Stallone. Well, it is an understated performance. It, my thing is, though, he's also not in the movie that much. And when he is there, like, it, it's good. And well, well, okay, the thing, to be fair, though, the category dynamic. was supporting character. Keep in mind, Anne Hathaway was in Les Miserables for at most five minutes, and then she won. But it. you felt it. Well, yeah. You felt it. But I, I felt that with Abel, too. I think he was a big component of this movie. Not like, to that extent, Well, though. some of the, my favorite scenes with this movie are between Abel and, and James. Like, one of my favorite yeah. scenes is in the, in the beginning of the movie, when they're discussing the trial, they're in this room. It's brightly lit, beautifully a lit scene, by the way. Um, and... Um, Abel was telling the story to James about the standing man. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know what it was, but that really made me emotional. Cause like when I went like, just, you can tell that really affected James mm-hmm. to be told that somebody who gets hit down and knocked down a lot, but you always get back up. Well, I, I think it was, the main point was, someone that appears to be just this ordinary nobody right. who's capable of extraordinary things. Right, right. And I think that was sort of the, the main message. And then also at the end of the movie, my like I think the scene of the movie is the actual bridge of spies. Yeah. And then when... when oh, Ab- I get it! <laughs> and then when Abel reunites with... with I just, for me anyway, I felt uh-huh. that, that, that Rylance and Hanks had such chemistry together. I, I Like I said... I'm not going to say that it was, it was better than Sylvester Stallone's performance. I just no, think, I am not either. <laughs> I'm just going to say I love Mark Rylance because of this movie. I really This is my introduction to Mark Rylance, yes. and he's just a great actor. No, Mike, Mike Rylance is an incredible actor. I thought he did a great job. So did Tom Hanks. But nothing about his performance, I have to say, stood out to me. As awards worthy. Oh, as awards worthy. I'll okay. put it that way. And something like Sylvester Stallone did... But that's just me. Honestly, it probably just ended up be it, it ended up going back to the academy just being complete dicks. To tell you, you the think? truth, I, I they, I'm sure they loved Bridge of Spies. Oh, I'm sure they is, loved Ryan. Like very academy. Film. It is their movie, but at the same time, uh-huh. you know, they can be such pricks sometimes, well, and they can award other people when certain things aren't. Times are a changing. 
Uh, not we fast got, enough. We got more people in the Academy, uh, what's it called? Guild. Right, so you're saying now we have such industry films like Wonder, Wonder Woman, Woman that will be nominated. Best Picture, <laughs> Best Supporting Actor, Best Supporting Actress will go to uh, The Secretary. Uh, <laughs> best Director would go to Pat- Patty Jenkins. No, no, they're going to put Chris Pine for Best Lead Actor, but they'll put Aries for Best Supporting Actor. But it's... See, that would be sexist. They would be. You can't do that. Yeah. Aries, Aries will get Best Visual Effects. And we all know that if you talk crap about anything Wonder Woman related, you're just sexist at heart. Because we're not women, we can't understand certain things, right? <laughs> okay, we're going down a road here. We're, I mean... Let, let's reiterate it again. <laughs> I just always feel the need to do this because I feel like such a piece of shit. We both really enjoyed Wonder Woman. Hell, I liked it more than you did. You, yeah, you liked it more than me. Um, I did. I think Patty Jenkins is a great director, and I thought Gal Gadot was really good. Um, How do we get to the Wonder? <laughs> I don't know. We have to review that movie all the time. Just we to always, be clear, we always we're assholes. It just is what it is. Um, but back to uh, Bridge of Spies, what yeah. you're saying. So the, um, your two negatives were the military thing and then also Mike Rylance shouldn't have won Best Supporting Actors. <laughs> so like I said, that's not really a negative. That's just like, again, we beat an asshole. Okay. Anyway, um, you, you're saying about the movie? Yeah, but it, but it had a lot of classic Steven Spielberg-isms. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, Steven Spielberg is just a master at sort of like tugging at your heartstrings. Yeah. That sort of old-fashioned, like, where it just gets you here, and mm-hmm. it's like, gee shucks, you That's know? That's why, I mean, for me, I, like, I know that a recent comment you made a couple of weeks back or mm-hmm. is that uh, Spielberg hasn't been hitting out of the park lately, and I'm like, well, I don't know if you can say that. I, I You can definitely count BFG, but even BFG, while it was a colossal failure at the box office... It was reviewed as a good movie. So, like, when you say... I thought it was okay. What? BFG. I never saw BFG. Oh, okay. I'm just saying, based on the reviews, it was good. I will say that this is probably one of his best films, if not the best in the last few years. In the last decade, for sure. Decade? In his last I, I ten years? Wanna, I don't want to... Go back and see which films came out when. Well, there's War Horse. I haven't seen that one either, uh, but there is Lincoln. Lincoln. Yeah. I love Lincoln. Lincoln. He, he's he's really good with historical. Yeah, those period pieces, dramas. Like, he's that's the kind of genre he's been at at the moment. Yeah. I love those movies. So I for my, for like, he can make those for the rest of his life. But I know that right he's now he's making Ready Player One. He's right making now. Ready Player One, which kind well. of scares me because it kind of looks like some of his lesser films. Mm. Just, just looking at it, but we'll, we'll see. I have some hopes. Then for you that. should Indiana Five. But even then, when you when you discount those two, there's the papers that's coming, which will return yeah. Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep, which is supposed to be kind of Watergate esque or something like that. So that's very much in line with the movies he's been making, like Bridge of Spies. And, and, and I Lincoln. am looking forward. You should look forward to any Spielberg film. I'll period. look forward. I look forward to it not winning Best Picture. How's that? Me too. Like every single year. <laughs> And Tom Hanks not getting nominated. Exactly. But Meryl um, Streep will find a way to get nominated, oh, yeah. I feel. She could be an extra in a film. <laughs> she was nominated for Into the Woods. That's. I think that's when people realized, okay, guys, you need to quit it. <laughs> we get it. 
I guarantee she could cameo as a stormtrooper in The Last Jedi, and she'll get nominated for Best Supporting Actress. That's ridiculous. <laughs> no, but um, there are some really great Spielberg moments, I felt like. Uh, like at the end, when he finally comes home, and he's like, oh yeah, great fishing trip. And then he goes upstairs and his and his family and they watch the news and they're like, oh shit, yeah, this is what he did. And then she goes upstairs and you know she sees you know he's just dead tired. Yeah, you know just all this time you know just the work and the the strain he put into saving what amounted to three people's lives. Yeah, and um, you know it's just sort of that admiration she had for her husband. You know what he was able to do. And again, that goes back to the whole thing of like, he's just an ordinary guy, family man, but when given the chance, can do extraordinary things. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was great. That that last shot um, where he's on the train and and that parallel of um, when he was passing the Berlin Wall and he sees people getting shot and dying. Right. To people jumping a fence. to, To little kids just hopping over the fence and playing. Yeah. And, and, you know, he's like, I, I thought it, that, that was beautifully well also, done. Also, just a quick shout out to Thomas Newman filling in for Williams on the on the music here. Uh, you don't really notice the score that much in the movie. Up I, until, thought, I don't think it was bad. I thought it was good. But you, it's also, Thomas Newman is like one of my favorite composers. Uh-huh. Like uh, He's composed Saving Mr. Banks, uh, Dory and Nemo, and I love all of those. Like I don't know what it is about him particularly. But maybe it's the instruments that he uses or his own style. Mm-hmm. But I just love hearing his music. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, just, I, I, no, I, I thought it was I thought it was well done too. It's nothing I like remembered afterwards, right. yeah. but definitely well done. John was a little busy with another movie at the time. At the so. time, because <laughs> you know, Spielberg usually has Williams mm-hmm. uh, for. Does he have? Williams he ha- will return to score the papers. Oh, okay. Uh, he got Alan Silvestri to score Red Player One. I which can, Alan Silvestri is not a bad guy. He's amazing. Like, I, mean, I mean, honestly, it kind of makes sense. Yeah, because Alan Silvestri. This is kind of like a, a toss-up to the big pop culture bullshit going on right now. Mm-hmm. Alan Silvestri is kind of like through his work with all the superhero films and right. the Avengers. The Avengers is really sort of like what encapsulated our sort of superhero right, nostalgia right. world. And it, should it, be it like, kind of makes sense. Yeah, and Sylvester, I'm, I'm, I, don't, I don't know where he's been recently, but he's going to be doing uh, Ready Player One, which I think comes out in 2018, right? Yeah, I assume that. Then also Infinity War. He's scoring that movie. Which I cannot wait for. Um, for that movie in general, but I'm glad that they have him back to score. Because yeah. I know a common complaint is that the music has been lacking in the Marvel films. And unfortunately, was really good Giacchino wasn't working out the way that, that Marvel wanted it to. So if you're not going to... I'm I'm good with Alan Silvestri. Get Again, him back. I don't. I'm not a hater of Giacchino. <laughs> Just haven't been impressed lately. By the way, I was listening to the War for the Planet of the Apes score last night. It blows I, you away, doesn't it? I admit that is a good score. That's a really great score. And it's, it's not indicative of. I'm sorry, Giacchino's recent work. So it, it came uh, out of maybe nowhere. Maybe it's almost. the director. Maybe. maybe it's just his personal pa- passion for certain. That projects. score is beautiful. Um. Like, Oh, but just to get to Bridge of Spies, I wanted to say, like, when he did see those people die trying to cross, I thought that was so well done because um, that's, like, the only deaths you see on screen. Mm -hmm. And and the fact that that's why I sort of enjoyed sort of this bird's eye view. The only deaths that were ever shown were the ones that he himself saw. 
and it was just like from far away someone getting shot and it's like you know this world that these people have to live in and um i i just going to a different thing i just need to ask you a question um what was the fate of what's his name abel abel it was very much i saw him get in the back seat Mm -hmm. so didn't he say that meant that's not good Mm -hmm. Uh, how did you interpret i wanted to ask you that question too it's very much Mm open-ended um it could have gone either way for me because of how much i loved that character Uh i choose to believe it ended up being okay with him i think actually you know what when it was presented i was like okay oh shit he's fucked but i think it says in the end that he survived you know what i think it did too at the end of the movie it says that abel did end up living a full life for after so they didn't kill him the only thing i remember was uh them saying how he had negotiated the bay of pigs Mm -hmm. afterwards afterwards but i mean what did you make of the for me like that that bridge sequence just waiting to see if it's all going to come together and the lights and everything and then uh, with abel like how did i thought the staging of that was pretty much perfect i thought it was carried out perfectly like well the thing is steven spielberg is a fucking master at what he does yeah of of basically every genre mm-hmm. he's, I'm, I'm it's hard to press to find a genre he hasn't tackled and hasn't like excelled at horror so, um well schindler is kind of a horror movie if you from a certain perspective i could have swore there was something else he technically didn't direct poltergeist but there's also rumors that he kind of secretly did. Well, there's so many rumors. Like, apparently he directed parts of Star Wars Episode Three. Yeah. Well, I could kind of see one or two scenes where he did. Um, not the talking scenes, obviously. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, but... Well, it's not like George would actually let Steven have any input on dialogue. You know that. No, 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 no. Um... Speaking of which, guys, for those of you listening, we're going to be doing more Star Wars audio commentaries pretty soon. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> I'm sorry. Continue what you were saying, Peter. The world is Star Wars. Yep. Okay. Um, every, like, when it comes to tension, you know, when it comes to amping up to, to the, the tension for these characters for um, during these scenarios to creating those heartwarming scenarios. It's just, he knows, like, to a T what to do to create those feelings. Right. So that's why, at this point, I, it just sort of feels like if Steven Spielberg doesn't make that good a film, it's because he's kind of wing, he's just kind of being lazy. Because it, it's, it, everything What's the worst that, so natural. Right, it does, doesn't it? But I don't want, his most recent film wasn't that greatly received even though most would say that they enjoyed it what's the worst you could say about the bfg the worst um that at the end of the day it was kind of boring oh okay it was just it just kind of was and like yeah, it was shot beautifully and um i did my mark, mark rylance as the bfg but um it was just like okay that's a kid's movie i won't forget it in a couple of days you will I mean I I will forget it in a couple of days and that's the way it really came off to me so yeah it's like I'm saying it kind of came off like he was directing it in his sleep and that kind of thing 
And this one, you could tell he had a very a huge um, connection with it. Yeah, like there's the thing about uh, when you know a Spielberg film, especially like this one, you can tell he poured a lot of himself into the movie, particularly the camera work. You can yeah. always you oh, always know that's him. Very well done. I love him when it comes to that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, uh, continue. Uh, you you don't you don't have to wrap up. You just continue as long as you you keep. You keep oh no, no no I'm ready to wrap up. Um, oh, overall I guess some people might be like it's a little cheesy, formulaic. formulaic. But I don't think. But I those are I things. I hate the word formulaic. I hate that too. But I think you and I have no problem with cheese. I mean, and no problem with formula. Exactly. Like, yeah, like back I say to this form- back to formula. <laughs> <laughs> Out, Emma. <laughs> Isn't that great? I love I love that movie. Oh. And Goblin for life. Hashtag it. No, but um, I I think I say this so many times. I, for a lot of people, I've noticed they can't see a film if it includes things they've seen before. They're like, ah, oh, I've seen this before. Bad film. For me, I, I'm not like that at all. I, it, it's, it doesn't matter if the story's been told a hundred times. For me, it's always how you tell the story, how well it's executed. Um, I, I, I have this... I once sat down and I was thinking about it. I was like, you could probably just take the framework of a type of film and have that framework, and those are the only kind of films I could see for the rest of my life, and I would still enjoy... find great films and enjoy films to be able to see it. Um... And that, that's kind of what this film is. It's not the most unique story, but it, it's, it's very well done with, with the appropriate amount of cheese and heart and tension. And it, it's, it's uh, very much one of Spielberg's better works in these last few years, I think. I think it's worth seeing, definitely. I, like, I, on some level, I'm actually quite shocked you enjoyed it. Really? I, I thought you would be a little bit bored by it, to tell you the truth. Why? I don't know. I just... <laughs> I, I'm very sensitive when it comes to movies I, I hold in high regard. Yes, and, I know. Uh, especially when it comes to a Spielberg film. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I adore this film. Like, for me, I, I told you that initially I was underwhelmed because it was just not the movie I was expecting. And sometimes, if the movie is so good, you can overlook that. But there are times where you expect such a different, different movie that it kind of affects you when you're watching something that's just the complete opposite. Because again, it's it's like Dunkirk, where like the trailers were. That's uh, a different movie than what I was expecting, and it's not to the detriment of the film. Enough for you, it worked off to its benefit. For me, I had to go back and watch it a second time and a third time to get the full effect of the film. Mm-hmm. And after seeing that, I can say that I love. I adore the movie for the craftsmanship, for for Spielberg's direction, for the passion. Obviously, the politics of the film and the politics and the humanity of James Donovan uh, encapsulate how my philosophy, how I view the world and what I believe in. So, and very much what I would try to do if I were in that situation, or at least what I would love to think that I would do if I were in that situation. Um, If it were you, I wouldn't. (laughs) <laughs> think twice, Peter. But if there were anybody else, you know, send me to the gallows. Well, that's a bit dark. Um, anywho, 
I love the film, love the performances, and I, yeah, it's not the most unique movie out there, but I think it's definitely one of Spielberg's better works as of late, and I think it's indication that we should be very excited for the papers coming out pretty soon, as well as his capability as a director. I'm just very glad that Spielberg is in that league of directors that hasn't lost his touch, unlike some others. I know that we've talked about uh, Tim Burton. Tim Burton isn't somebody who has been very impressive as of late, yeah. which is really interesting because I never really... The films that <clears throat> that I associated with Tim Burton in my in most recently were Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Ooh. Alice in Wonderland... Ugh. Uh, so, but then recently, uh, I was, but then I, I, what turned me around on Tim Burton, what made me think he's a great director was when a couple years ago, when I saw the 89 Batman movie, Oh, uh, which is okay. a great film. Can I, I make you watch that? Yeah. But, <laughs> but it was great. Uh, Michael yeah, Keaton was great. And was I great. love Jack Nicholson. Oh, it was wonderful. And then when, uh, he made me watch Sweeney Todd, which I'm like, damn, that was not my movie, but it was great. It was what, very well made. And then that—that that is a very dark film. And then Big Fish, which yeah. is the almost the opposite of that of Sweeney Todd, but there's also a great film in, in and of itself. So it's crazy to think that, wow. And the thing about Big Fish is that it came out the year after Planet of the Apes, which his Planet of the Apes movie, which wasn't very no, good. Wasn't. So and um, kind of like a like a Martin Scorsese where Spielberg has kind of like been that director that hasn't lost his touch and is still just firing out. Like on Scorsese's part, I'm excited for the Irishman. Like when Al Pacino, Robert De Niro, Joe Pesci, like it, I think Scorsese has been even more so than Steven Spielberg has just not lost his touch. I haven't seen the, the new one, uh, Silence. Silence? No one saw that movie. I feel really bad for that. You, for I think I have it. I could, I could lend it to you. It, it's really, it's, I really enjoy it. I can understand why some people might find it somewhat boring, but to me, it's still... To me, one of Scorsese's Lesser's films is still a million times better than the majority of films we do get. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was really well done, but like The Wolf of Wall Street... I love The Wolf of Wall Street. I think Goodfellas is terrific. I think everybody I loves love that movie. Goodfellas. But I still need to see a lot more of his movies. So if yeah. you have, I haven't seen Raging Bull, Taxi Driver, those classic oh, movies. Man. So I do have Taxi Driver. Yeah, I'll see that one or The Gangs of New York or whatever. Like yeah. or Shutter Island. I, like, there are a lot of movies that I know Shutter of Island's, his. I love Shutter. I Island. haven't seen so like and I, I'm like like Del Toro. I'm very much interested in Scorsese's filmography because I just love Wolf of Wall Street. Like that's one of my favorite movies. Yeah, it's great. So, um, yeah. We kind of devolved into talking about other things. But, but I mean, in general, it's just uh, we're having a general discussion about film and different yeah. filmmakers and where we're at. And I think for me, Spielberg is um, one of those directors that still is working to this very day that is making quality films. Absolutely. Unfortunately, unlike some other directors that haven't been firing that great lately. Yeah. So it, it's, it's, it is what it it's is. It's tough. But great thing about that is. Once you're a great director, you're always a great director because films are just timeless. Right. You know, even if you've only made one great film in your entire career, that film is is there forever. Yeah. Um. But that was my thoughts on Bridge of Spies. Well, I I, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. I thoroughly enjoyed Pan's Labyrinth. Um, and uh, I believe that brings us to the end of this conversation. Yeah. Uh, can you please preview the very next to the table? I think you and Kyle. Okay. I had asked Kyle because 
if you do listen to this, hey David. Um, David Moreno. David Moreno. Okay. I think you meant uh, David Smurden for a second. I'm like, what? what? That's somebody else. That's someone else. Um, I kind of feel like the movies I've been giving you guys are a little bit dark. This was lighter than. <laughs> Sadly, yes. Um, and I, I think maybe that says more about me. I don't know. But to try and lighten things up, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go for a little bit of lighter films. So I asked Kyle to mm-hmm. see, um, Wet Hot American Summer. Okay. Which is as light as it can get for you. <laughs> It's definitely, it's not a film I would ever ask you to see, right. it's a film that I would ask Kyle to see, because it's very much my kind of humor, which is very similar to Kyle's sense of humor, right. which would, half of the jokes would probably piss you off. I still say you should make him watch Hannah Montana the movie, only because he went out, he, he's, if you know, if you know Kyle, yeah. he has a disturbing extensive library of knowledge mm-hmm. of like every single Disney Channel movie every single Disney Channel anything Disney pretty much and I don't want to extend it but the thing is though he never he's seen like all the decoms but he never went out of his way to watch he, he's watched High School Musical 1 and 2 he's seen he, he interesting, interestingly saw the concert Hannah Montana movie but he never saw Hannah Montana in theaters or for that matter High School Musical 3 so I just think those Good. would be no I think you should just make oh, him watch those movies like, I, have a, I still have a little bit <laughs> respect for him don't make me lose that i mean <laughs> i i don't really know how to respond to that he hold on give me one second because kyle told me the film that he wants me to see it apparently has something to do with the beatles oh um, oh no i think it's uh the beach boys the beach boys he wanted to see love and mercy love and mercy that yes 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 that's the name of the film i I think it's sort of a biopic. I love biopics sort. in general. Like one of my favorite movies. I know we're just speaking off the cuff, but if you made it this far, tough shit. Um, I, one of my favorite movies is Walk the Line uh, with Joaquin Phoenix and Reese Witherspoon. Mm-hmm. I love that movie. Um, I think it's good. I know you don't like country music, so that's a barrier uh, Johnny right there. Johnny Cash is different. Johnny Cash don't count. Why? Because he doesn't. It's country. Eh, is it? He doesn't sound the country. He doesn't go on stage and he's like, my honk, it's honky girl. Okay, that's bullshit country. (laughs) (laughs) To to be fair, right there. Um, Yeah, but that's going to be the upcoming To the Tables. We have audio commentaries coming up on Star Wars. Then obviously we have the regular podcasts coming up here on Red Spotlight Entertainment. Um, I've pretty much... I've gotten tired of talking, so... Peter, thank you for this, I guess. And, uh, yeah, it's been fun. Thank you guys for listening to, uh, to the table. Until next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>